We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's December 30th, 2021, as we say goodbye to this calendar year and look ahead to 2022. Just like so many others are doing these next couple of days, we at Sox Machine are picking out our favorite 2021 memories of the White Sox season. Then we are dishing out our resolutions for ourselves and picking out resolutions for the White Sox in 2022. What do we want to see the franchise do better? And we'll share some of your resolutions that you guys have for the White Sox too. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. 2021, personally for us, was a pretty big year. How was your first Christmas as a dad? It was quiet, um, relatively speaking. Uh, baby, sometimes not quiet. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, <laughs> you know, no travel was involved with the way, uh, you know, Omicron's going right now. Just... Battening down the hatches, keeping it simple. Um, but yeah, so far, so good. He uh, turned one month old on uh, the 29th. So that's when we're recording today. So that'd be yesterday uh, for the podcast coming out. So, you know, everybody's hanging in there. All right. You survived the first month. Yes. How, how are your holidays? Uh, Christmas was all right. Uh, didn't snow. It was 50 degrees in Chicago. Uh, which a couple weeks prior to Christmas, we went to San Diego to visit our friends out there. And we always like to do it in December to get out of the winter in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And it was warmer in Chicago in Christmas than the first day we were in San Diego. Uh, So you got to love climate change. And it finally just snowed in Chicago this week, which broke like a 286 uh, snowless day streak in Chicago, mm-hmm. which growing up and living in the Midwest all my life, almost all my life, uh, I, uh, I've never gone through such a streak before. So we got these wonderful socks machine knit caps that you could get in our store at socksmachine.com. We just have a few left. Uh, for those that live in the Midwest, I promise we're going to need them because we all know snow is coming. It'll be for the home opener. (laughs) Maybe, maybe it will snow out in the home opener. I got some cool White Sox gifts. I got this nightlight, uh, which is the old Comiskey Park. Uh, That's going to be a great addition to the office. And uh, I got a GoPro. So we've always wanted to do more video content. Uh, and do more things with the YouTube channel. Now I got a GoPro, so we could we could do that. The Sox Machine Wind and Weather Reports, Jim, in 2022 are getting an upgrade. Getting intense. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was it was a good Christmas for me. So it, it was it was a lot of fun, and hopefully everyone listening, you had a wonderful holiday as well. And I am sure. Um, I'm, I'm hoping people are looking to new years as I like new years. It's festive. It's great to say goodbye to 
2021, and I know the last couple of New Year's Eves, everyone's so hopeful looking ahead and hoping that we can get back to some normalcy uh, soon. But for the Chicago White Sox, Jim, 2021 just felt like a really long calendar year, longer than usual because we got the 162-game season and they make it into the postseason And there was just so much going on leading up to the 2021 season to begin with. Tony LaRussa coming back to the White Sox. The major injuries, the surprise performances. What were some of your favorite White Sox moments in 2021? Yeah, it was a... (laughs) Making the postseason, making a traditional postseason after 162 games and uh, having that stretch was something I was unfamiliar with in terms of content planning and just uh, I had such a routine built into my Octobers over the years, uh, basically hardened into form by having so many uh, Septembers where they're knocked out of contention by the beginning of the month, if not earlier. So just basically I know by the time like October 5th rolls around, I'm doing the best wins of the year, followed by the uh, worst losses of the <laughs> year. And then I'm going through the uh, longest home runs. And then I'm going through the farms. Like, you know, I just kind of have this routine. Uh, but with everything going, you know, into the postseason and, and knowing the White Sox are going into the postseason, having that basically being a foregone conclusion by July, <laughs> they're going into the postseason. That was something. And then also, I think that what also made it feel long was that the minor league season because it started in May rather than April that also ran into um, you know mid-September for uh, all the affiliates and then late September for AAA so that was different so there's a lot of baseball later than I was used to but it's welcome you know that's uh, we know from just the interest from the feedback from the attendance from the TV ratings from everything we have to measure interest that it was basically through the roof oddly enough the convincing manner in which the White Sox won the uh, pennant might have diminished some interest just because everybody could kind of check out <laughs> in, in uh, mid-August through uh, mid-September and know that you know losses or in series weren't that consequential and uh, Cleveland and Minnesota and Kansas City and Detroit never really put up a threat to make anything feel in jeopardy. So there was a long year, strange year, and it felt strangely inconsequential. But yeah, there were a lot of great moments. I'm not sure if you want me to list them or if you want to kind of go back and forth between the two, because I feel like I'm going to steal yours if I, uh, (laughs) if I start listing them. Well, we got some from our followers on Twitter, which if you have Twitter and you're not following us, you could follow us at socks machine and you can follow me on Twitter at socks machine underscore Josh. We got one from white Sox UK. So one of our friends over the pond, Uh, They listed the Field of Dreams walk-off going through about six different emotions to get there and then Tim Anderson showing it off on a big stage. I I feel like the Field of Dreams walk-off, if you're listing the top moments of the season, I I feel like that's either 1A or 1B right there with the Lurie Garcia three-run homer. Uh, In Game 3, we got a lot of Game 3 is the top moment of the 2021 season. And you listed out the top games of the season. And do you still feel, as we are closing out the 2021 calendar year, that Tim Anderson's walk-off homer in the Field of Dreams game uh, is going to end up being more memorable than Lurie Garcia's three-run homer in Game 3 of the ALDS? Yeah, I, I think for Garcia's homer, it's something where he had to be there. I mean, it was cool on TV, but given just how... Uh, anticlimactic the rest of the series was. They won the game, but then they got blown out in game four. It was like a brief, somewhat sustained, but ultimately false hope. And, and the White Sox were never really close to winning the series. So I think in, in terms of like the ultimate impact, it'll fade. I think, and, and you can speak to this unless you were there, because I imagine if you were there, that had to generate feelings and noise and brain rattlings that I imagine you're not accustomed to at uh, at Sox Park. No, it, there was dread, right? When the Astros were up five to one and it felt like we were at a funeral. Mm-hmm. Like this is the last game of the year. We all showed up, we got hyped and the team fell flat on their face. Everybody's wearing black. Everyone's wearing black. Yeah, it's, it's very fitting. Grandal's two run homer, which barely got over the fence and barely passed Michael Brantley's glove in left field, gave some juice, gave some excitement, 
But it was just so improbable. Like the, that whole situation where Dusty Baker is removing his starting pitcher for a reliever in the middle of a count. Mm-hmm. It was a 2-0 count. So you 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 rarely see that, especially in Major League Baseball. You rarely see it. And, and it's Lurie Garcia. When you see the ball leave the bat and it's a fly ball to center field, you're thinking, oh, he he flew out. And it just kept carrying and carrying. And then all of a sudden, as the center fielder stopped chasing it, then everyone's just jumping around, going crazy. The loudest it's ever been at Guarantee Ray Field for myself uh, as a White Sox fan attending games. I'll need to ask someone who was at Game 2 of the 2005 World Series because you had two huge moments in that game. You Mm -hmm. had Kernerko's Grand Slam and then, of course, Scott Pesednik's walk-off homer. Uh, but there's a lot of people who who pick Game Three on Twitter saying that you know being in the stands, it, it's the greatest atmosphere I've ever been as a White Sox fan, especially at that home run. So you are right. If you are there, if you attended Game Three of the ALDS, I could totally see where you would say that was a bigger moment than the Field of Dreams game. However, there are some people like one of our Patreon supporters, Pete Hand, Mister Aloha Hand on Twitter. Uh, he went to both games, and if Pete Hand's listening to this, I would love to see what his reaction is. What was the cooler moment for him being in attendance for the Field of Dreams game and Game Three? Because that that would be a unique perspective. Because very, I I bet very few, I would say fewer than twenty White Sox fans got a chance to enjoy both because it was so difficult to get to the Field of Dreams game. Hmm. You'd say, you know, maybe it's more just because I can see the people who can afford postseason tickets are also the people who can afford Field of Dreams games tickets. <laughs> and perhaps uh, just, you know, money is no object. And so they make both games happen no matter what. So I can see that. I'm, I'm not speaking to what, uh, what Pete <laughs> can drop on a game. Uh, just uh, more of a, a thought. But when it comes to the Field of Dreams game, I that's still the top of the list for me just because... You know, as somebody who was home for both games watching on TV and, and the the Larry Homer was awesome, but just, you know, kind of faded with the way the, the drubbing from the next game happened. But the Field of Dreams game, I was a cynic heading into the game. Like I just, I thought it was kind of cool, but also a little bit too backwards looking. Field of Dreams is 30 years old. It's not maybe relevant to a large chunk of baseball fans. It's kind of a, you know, it's through a boomer lens. It's it's a little bit of a, I think the the further you distance yourself from it, you realize some things they could have done better about just uh, how they framed, um, you know, I guess the game and, and its evolution. I was thinking like, it's going to be kind of cool to see the farm, but I think I just don't want to hear about the movie so much. Like it just, it seems like baseball should be trying to advance forward rather than grasp to a movie that just might not be relevant. Like when you hear Tim Anderson saying that he hasn't watched it, doesn't really care to watch it. Just that's not really the kind of marketing you want going into the game. (laughs) But then just Kevin Costner stuff, the whispering stuff the coming through the corn. Some of it was cool. Some of it was a bit hokey. Like Kevin Costner doesn't have a whole lot of magnetism. So I thought there was like, he was, there was a little bit too much of him early on and I was afraid that it was just going to be he's going to be dragging down the whole thing like he wasn't a great MC he wasn't that great in a broadcast booth and so I'm thinking like oh this is just he's going to ultimately drag it down but he kind of faded and as the game proceeded and the game was you know a, a, a slobber knocker back and forth affair um, and, and the the sun went down it went from uh, late afternoon to evening to dusk to, to night and Kevin Costner disappeared from the broadcast and you had just these really striking visuals of the sun disappearing behind uh, the stadium and you had just these this blackness you don't see uh, behind the players behind the outfield just the way the lights were taking over and 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 making the uh, 1919 uniforms pop um, that was just something I didn't expect to just be taken by the visuals and then you had Tim Anderson's incredibly cinematic Homer the guy who couldn't uh, care less about uh, Field of Dreams, defining the game uh, in his fashion and, and, and finding his way to put his stamp on it and, and kind of erase the 30-year-old part of it and saying like, oh, this is, this is very much a contemporary game set in a uh, you know, 19th century backdrop. And that's pretty cool. Like that, that was the way that kind of spun it forward. 
uh, and made it feel like not a, a backwards affair. Well, what I'm concerned about, and this is not a White Sox problem anymore, is just what they do for an encore. Like it's going to be the Reds and Cubs next year. How are they going to top White Sox, Yankees, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Tim Anderson, you know, trading haymakers late in the game? I, I don't know how... <laughs> it feels like they should go on top. Like, you know, George Costanza, just leave, uh, you know, kind of demolish all plans for another Field of Dreams game, set a different game elsewhere, not have that standard to try to meet because I think it's going to be impossible. Yeah, the the two teams, unfortunately, that they selected in the Cubs and the Reds, at that point of the season, which they're still having this in August, correct? August yes, 2022. I believe so, yeah. So it's after the trade deadline. We don't know what the shape of those rosters are going to be. I'm assuming Joey Votto is not going to get traded because that contract is very heavy and it'd be very difficult to move for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, if the Cubs start Marcus Stroman in that game, which I don't no one's setting their pitching rotation for one game in August right now as we speak mm-hmm. for the 2022 season. But if Stroman starts that game, okay, there, there's a headliner for you. Uh, on the mound, but who are the Reds going to counter, right? I, I, right now, the Zips projections are coming out from our friend Dan Zaborski on Fangraphs. The Reds projections came out, and that team's going to be terrible. It's going to be one of the top, it's going to be one of the bottom 10 teams in all of Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. Whereas the White Sox-Yankees, at the time when they were meeting, these were two of the strongest teams in the American League. These were teams going for their respective divisions. And as you mentioned, there was a lot of star power. So it was a great introduction and they're not going to top it in year two. And maybe that's something they have to consider as far as major league baseball going into year three of the field of dreams game, because I I do think we're going to see year three is to really be selective on, on who they pick to play in this game, because while it makes sense to have the Chicago Cubs, they have a huge following in Iowa because of their AAA affiliate being in Iowa. Uh, if it was Cubs Cardinals, that would have carried a lot more going into the second game. But the fact that you picked the Cincinnati Reds, who are going to be terrible in 2022, yeah, it's it's not going to be a good encore. So what other uh, games were suggested from our Twitter folks? Uh, we did get a lot of Carlos Rodon no hitters, mm-hmm. and I think that's a great selection for me. This was another game that I was in attendance for, and this was a little bit more rare because only 6,000 fans were allowed to attend. This was still when we had the pods at Gary T. Rate Field. The upper level, the 500 level was completely closed off. Mm-hmm. and. Retelling this story, my personal story, uh, our friends from the 108 Beef Loaf and Cherezy, they had an extra ticket. They asked me if I wanted to go. And this was my first game since 2019 after no fans were in attendance throughout the 2020 season. And just sitting in the cold, my hands were so freezing, so freezing. I still have video of the final outs of that no hitter. And they're shaky because my hands are so cold holding the phone. But for that to be the first game for me personally back in the stadium was such an awesome moment. And again, improbable because here's Carlos Rodon making his second start of the 2021 season. And he almost threw a perfect game. Mm -hmm. And this is someone who was not good in 2020. And he got cut by the White Sox before coming back and signing the the one-year deal, a, a prove-it type of deal. And he does that in his first home start of the 2021 season. And at least there are people in the stands that had the opportunity to see that live while only the media got to see Lucas Giolito's no-hitter. Uh, in 2020 against the Pittsburgh Pirates. So that was also one of my favorite moments as well was Rodon's no-hitter. Yeah, I, I had that as number three on my list. One one moment I'm going to suggest that wasn't on my top winner list, but just uh, a moment I keep thinking of is that Billy Hamilton catch at Target Field in the mud on the warning track in left center. Yeah, that was a great, that was a great catch. I'm, yeah, I was thinking like the Tim Anderson... Homer, I've watched a ton. The Larry Garcia Homer, I've watched a ton. Like when it comes to like maybe my number three highlight, it's got to be, maybe it's the number two highlight. I think I've watched the Hamilton catch more than the Garcia Homer. Just 
uh, how improbable it was, how cool it was, like visually uh, striking. It was just the, uh, the, the, the mud bath he took on the warning track, just the, the weather um, making that happen. Just one of those examples of how the White Sox got exactly what they needed from all these role players over the course of the season. Like, you know, Hamilton also had that little league home run. <laughs> he had some weird moments that were just specifically tailored to his skill set, not asking him to do anything he shouldn't be doing, but just making the most of what he could do. I think we saw that a lot from different White Sox over the course of the year. And I think Hamilton's catch is probably, to me, like the singular example of that on the field. We did get two tweets listing Brian Goodwin's walk-off homer yeah, that's another against one. Cleveland, sending his bat to the moon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> flip. Along those lines. And, and uh, continuing along those lines, Yermania in April. Now, I know he became quite melodramatic towards the end of the 2021 season, threatening to retire via Instagram. But that April of Yerma Mercedes, Jim, is always going to be memorable for me, especially for any newcomer for the White Sox, one that they develop or one that they acquire. When they have a hot first month with the White Sox, I think we're always going to re- reference back to Yuma Mercedes, April of 2021, because he stopped, he didn't stop hitting. I mean, he hit well over 400, hit some huge home runs, especially at guaranteed rate field, threatening to reach the concourse on some home runs. <laughs> and he was this larger-than-life character in April, so much that Major League Baseball got ahead of itself and per- put Yuma Mercedes in some all-star promotional marketing <laughs> materials after the first month of the year. But I'm not gonna I'm never gonna forget April 2021 for Yuma Mercedes. And yeah, he crashed back to Earth by June. But that was a really fun month to cover a fun player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think to bookend that on the season was Gavin Sheets. Um, yes. He was basically the Yermin of the end of the season. Uh, same positions. You know, I guess Sheets can stand in the outfield, but you really don't want him there. He can play first base, but you don't want him there over Jose Abreu. So DH is basically where you want him. So they're, they're kind of similar in that regard. And just the... Uh, you know, your mean started the, the year strong sheets finished the season strong. And the nice thing about him was that he had that initial cool down uh, after his first stint. He seemed to be getting figured out, getting the two strike counts, not being able to really make strong contact and just strong, trying to stay alive. And then he went to Charlotte and figured it out, came back with a uh, just an ability to be more aggressive, to be able to turn around fastballs, but defend a low pitch. He wasn't like killing curveballs, uh, but he was at least defending it. He was laying off them. He was, uh, you know, beating the shift to the left side. He was basically just making them, whether he's fending them off, he's just making them think that, okay, he's just not a sucker for the curveball anymore. We might have to mix it up. And then when they try to mix it up, he pounced. And I think that was a, a nice change because like, you know, Mercedes, he was great in April. Then in the Frank Sinatra song got shot down in May, <laughs> retired in June or July. I forget which month it was, but Sheets, you know, having that initial cool down moment where you think like, okay, that was it for him this year. Uh, we'll see what he has to do over the winter and him to come back before the end of the season and then show up in the postseason as well. I think that was the kind of performance I think the White Sox needed. All these performances were nice that they got from, you know, Yermin, Goodwin, Jake Lamb, Hamilton, a little bit of Adam Angle here and there, and, and Jake Berger, which is also a great story uh, during the season. But to have Sheets like finish the year strong and, and give a sense of sustainability going into 2022, I think was the really important part. So what's another on your list of favorite moments in 2021? Well, if we're going to see the the uh, pitchers hitting disappearing, if we're going to see Universal DH, then Dylan Cease's three-hit game, I think, is a pitcher hitting enthusiast or like a, yeah, I, I don't care if, you know, ultimately, I, I think it's fine if the DH comes. So I don't want uh, pitchers to hit, but as long as pitchers hit, I enjoyed the curiosity factor. And so that really scratch that itch for me. Like if that's the last we see of pitchers hitting on a regular basis, then I'm happy that we got to see Dylan Cease do the bit, uh, butcher boy, butcher man double. <laughs> like the, that was, uh, that was great. Lance Lynn also had a big moment hitting in Milwaukee mm-hmm. to, to salvage that series a little bit for the White Sox, not to be swept against the Brewers in Milwaukee on ESPN Sunday night baseball. 
that that was a nice moment too for for Lance Lynn to pick up that RBI. And uh, yeah, I'm expecting Universal DH starting next season. Do you think that's it's going to happen that quickly? Seems like it could. Um, you know, maybe they want one more year in case they just feel like um, you know National League teams are at a disadvantage because they hadn't planned for it. Yeah, it would make some sense to have some fairness to give NL teams a heads up that this is coming so they can plan their rosters and prospect pools accordingly so they don't trade anybody that, uh, they, that they might have a roster spot for after all. One other moment, I think the last moment I'll mention that stands out is Jose Abreu's uh, mad dash against the Royals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've always been fascinated by Abreu's ability to run the bases and just how he can surprise occasionally with his... Uh, you know, swashbuckling style occasionally uh, like somebody who is that big and that bulky shouldn't be allowed to do some of the things he does in the base paths. And I think that chance he took breaking for home and winning the game on it when he looked like he was uh, dead about 10 feet from the plate. That's something where I just, I really enjoyed that. That was another case where something I've been long fascinated by, whether it's pitchers hitting, whether it's Jose Abreu thinking he's faster than he actually is and somehow it paying <laughs> off. Uh, that was great. Yeah, so I have two enjoying from my rooftop, which having guarantee rate field as a backdrop. When I'm up there watching the game on a tablet and enjoying the wonderful summer weather in Chicago, I see the fireworks go off before I see the home run hit. And there's two moments where I really enjoyed. One is the Sevi Zavala three three homer game because I would hear on the tablet Sebi Zavala now batting and I would see fireworks and I'd be like oh no way he hit a home run and then again Sebi Zavala at the plate and then I see fireworks and I'm like he hit two home runs this is crazy (laughs) and then I went and grabbed a beer and when I came back to my seat on the rooftop I see fireworks and it was like a 1-1 count to Zavala and I'm in just in disbelief. Like, there's no way. Sebi Zavala hit three home runs in a game. And then I would see the 15-second delay. And then, yeah, he hit three homers in one game. That was definitely the dumbest thing, I think, all year. In, in a good way. Just how, why, yeah. no. Huh? Yep. Just... Uh, and then they ended up losing. The game. I think what's made dumb is they lost the game too. Like yes. they couldn't win a Sebi Zavala three homer game. That's uh, I think what what it was the extra kicker that made it from you know awesome to just oh that's stupid. Yep. <laughs> Which is uh, but I, I say that in a very endearing way. Yeah, we've had a couple of those. I mean, this is we're concluding our eighth season podcasting together. Uh, the next week we'll be starting season nine. My gosh, season nine podcasting together. The White Sox have lost a seven home run game. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all solo home runs. I remember that one. But the second rooftop moment is having Cubs fans come over and just chilling and watching them get super excited because the Cubs jump out to that huge lead. And this is the mm. Yasmani Grandal returns from the injured list game where he hits two homers and drives in eight RBIs and the White Sox come from behind and win that game. That was thrilling as well. And another great moment to hear Grandal at the plate. And then my friend who's a Cubs fan is like, oh man, we we cannot let Grandal hurt us. And then you see the fireworks go off. And they're just like drowning themselves in beer at that moment. Cause it's like, I do remember, I don't want to hear it. Mute the tablet. I don't want to hear it. I can see the fire. I know what he's doing. And that was, that was fun. That's an enjoyable spoiler. I, I think like I get annoyed when I see tweets about something happening before I can see it. Or if I'm like on the phone with my parents, my dad, like, you know, says like, wow, or just groans about something. And then like, you know, 30 seconds later, I see what he's commenting on. That That's anticlimactic to me. But I think having the stadium provide the spoiler, I think is probably enhancing the experience. Yeah, it, it does. Uh, because I, cause I guess it can't spoil something terrible happening. Like it can't provide doom. It can only provide joy. Like the stadium's not going to tell you if Liam Hendricks gave up a, a go-ahead homer. That's true. But it will tell you if... Uh, you know, Sebi Zavala hit one out. So I think that's, it can only bring good news, I think. So I think that's why you have to like it. And it's two pieces of good news. It's the home run 
And you get the grand finale when Hendricks closes out the game. Like yeah. two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning. Do the White Sox win? Well, look at all these fireworks. I'm assuming they won the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so those were those were two rooftop moments for me. I'll always remember the midseason trade deadline, especially the last 24 hours. Quite busy for us covering all that news. I, I know the end results were not what the White Sox were desired. But in that 24-hour period, acquiring Cesar Hernandez and Ryan Tapera and going all in and Craig Kimbrell, I won't forget that. That was a crazy 24 hours for us at Sox Machine. And yeah, it's just when you look back at the 2021 calendar year, there's so many positives, which is such a nice change of pace from, you know, 2020, there is plenty of great moments for the White Sox. But it was only 63-game season with a three-game postseason and 60 regular season games and a bunch of COVID, and none of us could actually be in the stadium for those games. Mm-hmm. And then 2019, which at times we're pulling our hair out wondering why is Luis Robert not being called up to the White Sox when Aloy Jimenez is, is hitting 31 homers in his rookie season. And you know that the team's on the brink to transition from rebuilding to being a challenger or a contender going to 2020. It, this is what we are hoping for from the rebuild as far as 2021. And now it has all of us wanting more as we go into 2022. That's a good way to put it. And that is a good segue for us to talk about our 2022 resolutions. And Jim and I have some resolutions for the White Sox coming into the next calendar year. And many of you also had resolutions that we'll share after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. So we just shared our favorite moments of the 2021 calendar year for the Chicago White Sox. Now let's look ahead to 2022 as Jim and I will share our personal resolutions that we have for 2022. And I'll need your guys' help to keep me stay true to my resolutions as long as possible uh, before I give up and I break them. Let's talk about the White Sox and what resolutions we have for the White Sox in 2022. And Jim, is there any big resolution that if you could give to the Chicago White Sox, and it could be about anything regarding the White Mm -hmm. Sox, what would it be? Uh, I would say spend like somebody else has to clean up the mess. (laughs) That's, I think, what I... Like, I think if the White Sox had Bryce Harper right now, would they have any regrets? No. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, just they, I think they would definitely would have sold more tickets earlier. Like, there would have been more interest. Ratings would have been up higher. I mean, the Phillies haven't been able to make the postseason with Harper, but it hasn't been his fault. It's been a lot of other problems with the Phillies. I don't think the White Sox would have had, or that the White Sox, that Harper's contract would have generated. So, I think the White Sox, you know, they don't spend like they, you know, they don't they don't spend that hundred million dollar contract because. Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams know, well, I mean, Kenny Williams says he, he's going to be done at the end of his contract, but like they've operated as though they're going to be the guys cleaning up the mess eight years from now. Like they're going to be there. Like every, every you know, GM that hands out the mega mm-hmm. deal 
isn't sure if he's going to be there or she's going to be there. And uh, now, we, now we can say that if she's going to be there, you know, so that's why, you know, they do it because like, if it doesn't work out, they're going to get fired anyway. So they may as well give themselves the best chance. Uh, with the White Sox, I think the way they're run, they just know that they're going to be there. <laughs> that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Just, you know, if it turns bad, they're going to have to live with that contract for the last five years of it. But I think like the, the Robinson Cano deal, and just you know, how the Mariners spent way more than they had to or way more than the Yankees would have had to spend to get Cano. It wasn't, you know, he was decent with the Mariners. Like, he was good, but he wasn't, he didn't change, he didn't transform the franchise or change their fortunes. And it looked like, uh, you know, kind of a an unimpressive deal. It was going to go south. And then it traded him for Jared Kelnick. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking like the Tigers when they signed Prince Fielder and that looked like it was going to be a disaster. They got Ian Kinsler. Like, they've... You know, teams can get out from under these contracts sometimes. Like they, they can. It is possible. Not everyone is a Miguel Cabrera deal. Not everyone's an Albert Pujols deal. Like some are good, and then they turn not so good, but they're able to get out under. Maybe they have to pay a little bit. Maybe they're inefficient, but they're not. They they don't spell doom if you have enough confidence and if it's you know the player's worth it. So I think. That's one case where, you know, you know, Bryce Harper is not going to be available again. The big contracts have been spent, but just I, I wish the White Sox would think of it in that regard. Just spend the money, generate the excitement, you know, trying to try to super solve a problem because like when they did it for Lance Lynn, I mean, that was a trade asset, but, you know, they, they traded for the best guy available and they got the best performance they could have gotten from the pool of players that might have been available, you know, for a frontline starter and just... I wish they had the confidence to do that with actual checks. Well, think about the last five years when they have gone gone all in or maybe extended a little bit further to Rick Hahn's tenure as general manager when they have made these big contracts. Have they regretted any of them? I mean, maybe there's some regret with Dallas Keuchel if he doesn't bounce back in 2022 but that's more of a wait and see and how he's going to perform. But they don't regret the Jose Abreu contracts. Mm-hmm. They don't regret, I don't think, the Aloy Jimenez or Yoan Makata or Luis Robert contracts before they even played a game in the cases of Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. Some think that they overpaid for Yasmani Grandal. I don't think they regret signing Yasmani Grandal. So when the White Sox have made these big commitments... Mm-hmm. It's largely paid off for them where we, I'm speaking for Jim and I, criticize the White Sox is when they try to patch up a spot on the roster by not making that great of an investment and thinking that it's been resolved. And this goes back to all of these one-year clearance rack shopping deals that Rick Hahn has attempted to do and you did such a great job a couple years ago, Jim, illustrating on just the terrible track record the White Sox have spending on one or even one year plus a club option deals. Like it is, it's really bad. They are not good shopping the clearance racks. And if you're not good at it, stop shopping there and go live in the mid market where you can sign guys for three, four years. 20 to 25 million dollars yes it's not the type of commitment to get a Marcus Simeon but these types of contracts have been working out well for you and it is a bit frustrating that they don't continue to live in that market it feels like a missed opportunity hopefully it isn't hopefully they can you know get to the postseason have a deeper run keep sustaining this you know revenue they're generating this interest they're generating and become a juggernaut in the central because they should be i think if they get to the postseason three years in a row a chicago team in the central with cleveland trying to figure out what it's doing with minnesota licking its wounds with detroit not quite there yet with kansas city not quite there this is the time to like really build and flex muscle and so that's i think you know if they if the if the opportunity is passed to like spend this year then at least gear up for next year, the next, you know, the next edition periods, just to be prepared to try to demoralize uh, the rest of the division with your spending the way that the Dombrowski Tigers did. Right. I mean, that, that ended poorly, but I don't think anybody in Detroit regrets the, what, five-year run they had of just 
excellence, high, you know, high payroll excellence. They didn't win a yeah. World Series, but uh, the teams were great. The teams were fun. They um, they won convincingly. Uh, when it comes to, like the bulk of the summer, I think that's all you can really try to do as a as a front office. Yeah, they own the American League Central. Then the Royals had it for a couple of years, and then Cleveland had it a couple of years. And then it's a struggle right now between the Twins and the White Sox. And we think the White Sox are going to be in control of the American League Central. But this is a shocker. Uh, spend more money is uh, is the most popular resolution from our followers on Twitter. Uh, show me that the money will be spent from at Matt Carlson 53. Uh, I think really sums up as far as those types of tweets. Uh, the other resolutions that we got from our fans, uh, an American League Championship Series appearance and less ground balls. Yes, we had quite a few more ball in air in mm-hmm. 2022, which uh, makes my heart happy that that is catching on because I am a big advocate for the White Sox to hit more fly balls in 2022. Uh, at dump on the ump. Uh, tweeted to us, make Lucas Giolito a member of the White Sox for life. I think that would be money well spent by the White Sox because it's going to cost a lot of money to tie up Lucas Giolito. Steve Lim on Twitter, uh, his resolution for the White Sox in 2022, get way better at holding base runners and throwing them out. Mm -hmm. I think that's a combination of pitchers and catchers there. Uh, from New Year, say me, stop overvaluing bullpen pieces when there are larger holes to fill. Uh, I think that's a pretty good one. Uh, we got quite a few win a playoff series. One for off the field, fix the amount of time it takes to get into and out of the parking lots, especially lot F off Pershing. And that comes from Chris McGowan. And not on the field, but off the field for the White Sox. I totally agree with Chris. This is something the Chicago White Sox and the city of Chicago must address in 2022. Parking for White Sox games is a nightmare. It takes way too long for people to park at games in which if they line up to park at 530 for a seven o'clock game, many of those people are missing the first or second innings of the game. Uh, just because there's not enough people to help out as far as parking lot attendees to navigate traffic or traffic is backed up. It's it's really bad. So that that's as far as like fan policies and trying to make the, the fan uh, experience better in 2022. I'm expecting some significant mm-hmm. changes from the Chicago White Sox on the parking front because I know they know this is a sore spot and it's a terrible experience as a fan, but yeah, the parking, the parking situation for the White Sox must approve in 2022. So I picked an off the field one. Uh, I have some on the field ones as well. Do you, what other resolutions do you have for the White Sox in 2022, Jim? Ways the White Sox are a little bit um, out of style. <laughs> I guess when it comes to the way their offense runs, some of it's good. Like Tim Anderson, uh, his high BAPIP approach works because he does it year after year. Yohan Makata can do the same thing. But yeah, the ground balls, the way they just can be too right-handed and the way those right-handed ground balls turn into double plays, that seems like it's uh, a little bit of a dead end they need to back out of. Um, So that's one where I think the White Sox need to take that seriously, and hopefully they will. Uh, Saw some out defensive shifts and just... I would like to know a little bit more about what Shelly Duncan does, what Miguel Cairo does. I think going into year two, like less about Tony La Russa, more about his staff and just <laughs> who's doing what to provide the information. I think yeah. that's kind of what I'd like to see. Some others step up and, and I don't think the White Sox are as backwards or Tony La Russa is, you know, anti-analytics. Like, I don't think that's true, but I think the White Sox aren't, they're far from optimized. And I think I like to see steps in that direction just to, make sure that's more than lip service what they're paying. But with the distance that they're covered from, you know, and not being able to have like James Fegan go up and uh, talk uh, or or have Shelly Duncan talk his ear off about what his job is and what he's trying to do. Uh, the distance makes it hard to know exactly what these guys are doing. I think that would give us some confidence if we knew exactly what, what improvements were trying to be made, at, whether at the Frank Menachino level, at the Shelly Duncan level, at the Ethan Katz level, just to try to get these this team out of some of the dead ends it finds itself in uh, when it comes to just 
the making their path to success a lot harder than maybe it should be. So my three on the field resolutions for the White Sox in 2022. Number one, real quick, right field. We have talked about this often. I wrote about it as one of my birthday wishes in November for the White Sox to find a right fielder. We're obviously recording this podcast and the lockout is still alive and well in Major League Baseball as it'll enter into a month very uh, shortly here. And we don't believe that the Players Association and the owners are meeting until after New Year. So we're going to go beyond a month for the Major League Baseball lockout as we still await a new CBA. But after a new CBA is agreed upon, the White Sox need to find and resolve the right field situation for the White Sox. There are multiple mid to long-term solutions for the White Sox and free agency. Uh, if they want to be creative, maybe in trade, figure it out. Uh, the second one, and this is more on Ethan Katz and Tony La Russa, the White Sox had a very long 2021 season for the pitchers. I think a good resolution for them is to not tax the starting pitching until you get to the month of August. Kind of reverse this. Limit the amount of 100 pitch outings for the starting pitchers because you were, let's face it, pretty lucky in 2021 not to have any significant injuries on the starting pitching front. And with such little depth the White Sox have for starting pitchers, just try to come up with a starting rotation right now for the Charlotte Knights, uh, the White Sox AAA minor league affiliate, because that would be the starting pitching depth for the White Sox, and there really isn't any. So you have to be careful there to not overtax your starting pitchers come April, May, and June, at least for the first three months of the season. Kind of relaxed them in because this is a, the biggest workload that many have had in quite some time, thanks to the shore in 2020 season. And it's not necessarily in Chicago, but in the minor leagues, develop one top 100 prospect because you didn't draft any, right? Because mm-hmm. none of the most recent draft picks for the White Sox, like Colson Montgomery, which I really like that draft pick for the White Sox or any of the prep pitchers that they have drafted uh, recently, uh, they're not top 100 prospects. And you also have Yoelki Cespedes as well. Have one of them Mm -hmm. end up in someone's top 100 list come July when they update the top 100 rankings. Because I keep reading all these minor league reports and the Arizona Fall League reports, and I'm not seeing anything from any White Sox prospects at all. And that's a bit troublesome. So I would like for Chris Getz and his team to figure player development out, try to get one of their top 10 prospects to really start well in 2022, catch the eyes of other player evaluators in the game and convince others that these guys are top 100 prospects to give some faith that the White Sox have figured out how to develop players and they are developing another wave. Because if this continues throughout the 2022 season, Jim, where the White Sox minor leagues are not performing well, either by not winning games or the performances Mm -hmm. are not very good, then we know that this contention window is going to be pretty short because there isn't help coming. I think developing an athlete, I think, would maybe be the way I put it. Uh, they've, They've had some success with Gavin Sheets, with Jake Berger, with these you know corner types, mm-hmm. um, but when it comes to say you know, Mike Rodolfo is another one in the corner, like he's injuries have been the bigger issue for him than anything developmentally. Like when he's been able to play, he's done fairly well if you give him some time to you know, tackle the learning curve at each level. But just up the middle athletes, you know, even going to like you know Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist, like the the athletes they pick for the mound, just turning that athleticism into production. I think they're kind of close with Jose Rodriguez. He's a nice uh, option. Um, Brian Ramos is somebody I like who's maybe on the cusp of being a unanimous top five prospect in the system. Like I think maybe he's one year away from from breaking into that group, but uh, Yolki Cespedes, another one, just have some athletes breaking through to give the White Sox some flexibility uh, defensively rather than just having all these guys they just try to shove into right field because they have a hard time getting off of first base. 
Yeah, and I think for the White Sox current farm system, the guys that I think could be close or could be top 100 candidates, just speaking to others, there's a lot of people who think highly of Colson Montgomery. There's a lot of people that buy into Yoki Cespedes. They just need to see more contact or better consistency of contact from Cespedes. There's a lot of hype with Norhe Vera, uh, especially with the type of velocity mm-hmm. that Vera has been flashing. I just, when it comes to July and we talk about the Major League Baseball draft and the White Sox farm system with our friend Jim Callis of MLB.com, I would be, I would like to be able to ask Jim, how about this one top 100 White Sox prospect? Because the past top 100 guys were either recent draft picks that the evaluators thought they were already top 100 prospects. Think of like Carson Fulmer and Zach Collins or guys that they traded and they acquired from the Chris Sale and Adam Eaton trades. I would like the White Sox mm-hmm. to, and they're going to have to do this, develop someone into a top 100 prospect. And this is the challenge of the player development for them right now. These aren't top 10 prospects. These, In the case of Yoki Cespedes, it's a bit different. Uh, but these aren't like marquee international signings that you are making here. You're, you're going to have to work and develop these guys into become premium talent and someone that White Sox fans can can wish and dream on when we look ahead to the 2024 and 2025 roster. So that, that's my other New Year's resolution for the White Sox franchise. So again, to recap, right field, be e- easy on the starting pitchers at the beginning of the season and develop a top 100 prospect. Do you have any other on-the-field resolutions for the White Sox in 2022, Jim? No, I think uh, the the wide swath of them we got from the community basically covers the rest of them more or less. So I think we can, if you're ready, I can, we can move on to our personal ones going into 2022. Yeah, it sounds like you are ready. I Yes. My, my personal ones are, are, are a little heartbreaking for me, but you fire away, Jim. What are some of your personal 2022 resolutions? Well, you know, one thing I forgot to mention when it came to like the top games or top moments of the season was the tailgate in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. yeah I forgot that too. Just like oh, the, my the, gosh. The two, mo- <laughs> the two months of... The whole last two years where it was response, were theoretically responsible and safe to pull it off. You know, we basically, you know, we were lucky enough to be able to have hundreds of people come through and, uh, you know, make the most out of a unremarkable game and then have fun afterwards. Like that was great. And uh, so, you know, COVID willing, Omicron, whatever uh, Greek letter comes uh, next, you know, willing, it would be great to, uh, you know, be involved, you know, be out there getting together in that kind of situation again. So here's hoping that if it's possible that, you know, we'll be able to get out there and, and meet in mass again. Yes. Well, I am planning on that uh, for our listeners. Uh, July, mid-July in Minneapolis, the last series before the All-Star break. The Twins don't allow tailgating because it's a downtown stadium, but we're going to take over a bar. And I already have White Sox fans who live in Minneapolis. Thank you guys so much who are already scouting and working hard right now on locations for us by Target Field that we can meet up before and after the game. Uh, So that's one. And the last series of the 2022 regular season is going to be in San Diego. And we are going to try to do the same thing again in San Diego. So those are the two big ones. Coming 2022 is uh, Minneapolis and San Diego. And it'd be awesome to see all of you guys that help support us at Sox Machine and fellow White Sox fans, especially Minneapolis. That one kind of warms my heart. I don't think Minneapolis is ready for how many White Sox fans are going to be coming in mid-July. And just try to turn that into a neutral site game uh, would be Mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Uh, Because I I haven't been to Target Field yet, and uh, I know Twins fans are already sick of the White Sox. Uh, So that could be a a really fun weekend. And uh, as far as uh, any other personal resolutions, Jim? Well, I I think the one uh, I'm I'm kind of fine-tuning right now, I think I'm going to have it ready by the New Year's Day post and Sox Machine, is just to, you know, given that this is sustainable, Sox Machine is sustainable, I think uh, that's one thing we learned from uh, 2021, 2020, you know, making this my full-time 
uh, gig and then having the pandemic come in and having the season shortened to 60 games and no ability to gather, like still had some doubt in terms of just how, how, how well it would work. And so I, I still had some doubts or just, you know, make sure that I didn't put all my eggs in the basket just when it comes to full-time work or make sure I, I, uh, I, I, you know, have some marketable skills in the event that I need to like shift it down to part-time and pick up some other jobs, but it does seem to be working. And so I feel like, you know, this is an opportunity just, you know, having uh, learned in, in, you know, over 15 years of trying and failing and, and doing so in obscurity and then building it up a little bit that, you know, I feel like I have some, some ideas and things to share and just some things I can tell people who are trying to do uh, similar lines of work that we're doing. And so I feel like I can kind of just have something to offer because uh, uh, there are a lot of uh, wrong turns when it comes to, you know, media, independent media, um, you know, networked media, you know, and, and a lot of technology is cyclical, like newsletters are all of a sudden huge in a way that they were 10 years ago. And just because people realize, oh, direct connection with your audience is important. <laughs> it feels like, you know, if, you, if you've been in the game for as long as I have, I feel like I have some things to say for people who might be interested in trying to figure out where they might fit in. So I feel like I, I can offer something in that regard that maybe I haven't offered up before. Well, that sounds wonderful because uh, there's a lot of new blogs out there. There's a lot of folks that... They want to talk about the White Sox too. And, you know, they're launching their own podcast with their friends to talk about the White Sox because uh, it's, a, it's a fun hobby for them. I think that's wonderful, Jim, to provide that type of mentorship because this will be your 16th season writing about the White Sox. Yep. Yeah. And it'll be our ninth season podcasting about the White Sox. Yep. Yeah, we we've been through the rainer uh, a few times. Uh, I, I it's great that you put it that way. The lessons that we have learned, and we are also expanding at the same time to be bigger and better, and to incorporate more live events and try to do video and such. So yes, for all of those that are listening and have been listening, that you are trying to get your foot into the door or maybe looking for opportunities because we do have shop talk and we've had some excellent posts in shop talk uh, from our followers at socks machine uh, to post their articles there and to be published by socks machine. If you have ideas or if you just have questions and you need someone to bounce them off on Jim is a great resource to do that. If you got questions about podcasting and other multimedia ideas, feel free to reach out to me. My DMs are open on Twitter. My email's josh at socksmachine.com. Really easy to reach out to me. We more than happy to help. Because and Jim at socksmachine.com. So simple emails. Jim and Josh, socksmachine.com. Yes. That email does not exist. Jim at socksmachine.com. <laughs> Josh at socksmachine.com for the, the spammers that are going to be sending. Well, actually, if you are a spammer, do yeah. send it to Josh and Jim at socksmachine.com. But that those are great resolutions, Jim. Those are great. Some of my personal resolutions that I'm going to need help. I'm going to need help from those that listen and follow us on social media. One, I have to get my body into shape for our wedding in July of 2023. And I got a lot of weight to lose. So 2022 is going to be Josh Nelson's best shape of his life year. <laughs> and I really need to focus and, and lose a, a couple of pant sizes. Uh, so that's, that's one resolution. I think that's a lot of people's resolution, but I have no choice. I, I need to start getting to the best shape of my life attitude for our wedding to help me with this. And this is the painful one for a full calendar year. I am going to give up Dr. Pepper. And by saying I'm going to give up Dr. Pepper, that means I'm giving up all soda for the natives pop. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give up on that. And I think that will help me tremendously trying to get into the best shape of my life. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the big, it makes one. a difference. That, that's uh, I cut out regular soda of my routine and then diet soda has kind of fallen out as well to where I don't drink that much. But you, you, you'll be surprised how much that does in and of itself. Yeah, I know. But it's it's breaking my heart. And it's it's just this 
routine, just this habit of I have two to three Dr. Peppers a day, like cans. So about 24 to 36 fluid ounces a day. I wake up and people have coffee or they have tea. I have a Dr. Pepper and I need to cut that out in 2022. So if you see me in the concessions line and I am eyeing that Coca-Cola cooler at White Sox game, just be like, Josh, no, you, you said no soda and no pop in 2022. Don't do it. Don't do or it. Or let him buy it and knock it out of his hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He said you could. <laughs> that's a good one. That's, that's a good one. So those are my two big resolutions. And... Yeah, I'm going to see how ornery I'm going to be in February. <laughs> there better be a new CBA or I'm going to be super irritable because uh, I haven't had uh, any Dr. Pepper. So what did you do then when you gave up soda? What was your caffeine fix or did you scale back on caffeine? Well, I went to diet, um, you know, so that helped. And, and I don't enjoy diet the way I enjoyed regular. So that helped me cut it in half by itself to where maybe I had one can a day or one, one can every other day versus a can or bottle every day. So that helped. Eventually, you know, I got a taste for seltzer enough to where that took care of the bubbles for me. And then just, I, I honed my taste for coffee as well to where that's, but now, now my caffeine, I think is lessened to where I have a cup of coffee in the morning, like one later in the morning. And then maybe, uh, one, like around four o'clock or five, whether it's like a, one of the mini cans of Diet Dr. Pepper or something like that, but just oftentimes I don't need it. So I was able to kind of reduce my caffeine enough to where just a couple of cups of coffee, mainly do the heavy lifting. All right. I'm more into tea than coffee. So I think I'm going to be drinking a lot of tea. In yeah. And I think there are some uh, high caffeine options else or like, you know, kind of uh, supercharged teas out there to, for the, to, for the people who don't like coffee. So. Yeah. So those are, those are my two big ones. And I, I can't wait to see what other people's resolutions are, especially in the comment section at socksmachine.com. And as far as like the podcast resolution, cause we always try to do something new every single year in 2021, it was definitely launching the YouTube page and doing more of that type of stuff, especially with socks machine live, bring it to video. And we got a, a pretty decent result, not earth shattering by any stretch of the imagination, especially with the millions of views that Minecraft videos get on youtube.com. We're not as big as Minecraft, uh, but I think that I thought, I think that's a good format. There may be some other options presented to us in 2022, as far as live audio streaming, uh, those are some things that we are currently working out. I know a lot of people really enjoy the Twitter spaces. Uh, so I want to continue that as far as into 2022. But if you guys have any suggestions as well, as far as what you want to see from the podcast going to 2022, uh, we'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions, especially on SocksMachine.com in the comments section. Do you have any resolutions for Sox Machine other than the, the live events? And, you know, hopefully the world doesn't have Zenith coronavirus by the summertime and we can't have our big tailgate events. No, right now, I think this is the first year I have to juggle work and family. I can say that I'm doing that now. So that's going to be my resolution is just to survive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do socks machine well, while also being a halfway decent dad. So I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. Survive and advance every single day. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, that will do it for this episode. As we say goodbye to the 2021 calendar year and our eighth season podcasting about the Chicago White Sox. And the next time you hear from us, uh, it'll be 2022 and we'll be launching our ninth season podcasting about the Chicago White Sox together. I think it's also the fourth year anniversary on New Year's Day of relaunching Sox Machine. Do I have that right? Yes, 18. So, yep. Yes. Yeah, already. Already four years. Wow. Four years has... Uh, it's been both, it has felt like a decade and <laughs> it's also gone quickly, if that makes any sense. 
But yeah, a lot of exciting stuff around the New Year's and we are pumped to see what beholds for us in 2022. And we all hope that you have a very safe and happy New Year's to you and to all of your loved ones. If you just discovered the Socks Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you've been a lurker or a longtime listener and you currently don't support us on Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash socks machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And when we have new socks machine swag, like our knit caps, they are the first ones to purchase those new items of socks machine swag. And speaking of the knit caps, Jim, do we have an update as far as inventory? I think we're in the single digits now. Yes, we have five left. Five? Uh, according, yeah. And maybe it'd be less than that when this uh, recording comes out because they've been, uh, I've been sending out a package or two a day. So it's been a pretty steady clip. So down to the last five. All right. So if you want a Socks Machine stocking cap and you're listening right now, I would go to SocksMachine.com, click on shop, and then click on the stocking cap. It is $20. Uh, and that includes shipping. It's a great price. I love wearing mine. I'm currently wearing mine right now. It's a great stocking cap. So that's another way you can support us by purchasing items in our store at SocksMachine.com. But for our Patreon supporters, we have monthly plans that start at $2 a month. Or with New Year's now here, you can save 9% on an annual plan that takes care of all of 2022. So great opportunity to sign up for an annual plan or for our current Patreon supporters upgrade from monthly to annual to take care of all of 2022. And again, the Patreon supporters, we love you guys. With your support, Jim's able to do this full time and this has become a part time job for me. Your guys' support really helps make Socks Machine stable. So again, thank you so much for your continued support in 2021 and beyond. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and Happy New Year. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.